Hey, Zach. Happy what? anniversary, buddy. Happy anniversary. What'd you give me? What's the five-year anniversary, anyway? Like paper? Okay, I'll take oh. it. You're listening to the Selfie is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Fly ball, deep right field. Back is Spencer at the one and two. Subscribe to Selby is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. <laughs> I was close. When I said paper or oak, it was wood. <laughs> You'd think I know since my five-year wedding anniversary was recently. So, TJ, I got you wood for our anniversary. Uh, keep that to yourself. It is the Selvia's Godcast. <laughs> with, with openings like that, I don't know how we made it five years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's been a total train wreck. It's... I can't believe it has been five years, actually. <laughs> it was August 28th, 2017 was the first time you and I sat down to record an episode. Do you remember five years in the past, what it felt like in your life? And can you compare it to now? Why do I rem- I, I feel like I was in Yankee Stadium. Is that possible? Or was that not the first one, maybe? So, were we together? as I looked at the schedule... I do not believe that we were. As I looked at the schedule, they were in Yankee Stadium. It was a Monday. They were getting ready to play the Yankees. It was that day they won their fifth game in a row, which seemed like that's a pretty good winning streak you've built for yourself. That's not bad. They would go on to win 22 in a row. <laughs> so for the first couple of weeks we were doing that show, we didn't cover a loss, not a single time. But I know we drive home from games late at night. Oftentimes, there's not a lot to listen to at 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. However, you do often get hit with coast-to-coast AM. You're driving home listening to aliens and ghosts and conspiracies, all the kind of things we love on this show. And on the weekends, they will hit you with (laughs) a blast from the past. You hear the, the Art Bell older episodes and they take you back to an episode from 1997 or 2001 and they they always hit you with a moment in time and then they take you back to that episode and they drop you in i would like to hit you with that would you like to do that would you like to jump in this time machine with me for a minute sure take me back to when i was young and fun (laughs) healthy happy Episode number one of a podcast that had yet to be named. Since this is you and I kind of taking over and doing something different and hopefully doing this more than like once a month, we could actually make it into something our own, something different. So I am open to leaving it as is. I am open to changing. We can go in a different direction. We can open it up to our listeners for suggestions and we can mix in four letter words. It doesn't really matter. As long as we're not (laughs) offending anybody, you can call us whatever you want the podcast to be. Well, what about if we named it after, like, an Indian's cult hero? Like, Cartola Colon picked up quite a following once he left Cleveland. But there were guys like Jerry Sands. Um, I don't know. Casey Blake, did he fall in there? Um, Eric I think Cunningham. he hated Casey Blake. Didn't he, yeah. didn't he have, like, a? he was almost the Brian Shaw before Brian Shaw. Oh, People what about like... the, Brian, the Shaw cast? People <laughs> love to listen to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and in their opinion, they probably tune in and assume we we, we blow it every five seconds. So right, <laughs> the, so the app I is think it would be, always crashing. You know, we, could, we could build a, a big following if we name it after one of those guys who fans irrationally love, like Bill Selby, maybe mm, the Selby is God podcast. Yeah, perhaps. the Selby is Godcast. If oh you will. wow! Well, you know what? Uh, having been in several bands back in my day, all of them terrible. I know that this is not something you can force, so you have to 
You have to just kind of let it become what it is. So I'm not going to say we have to name it right now. And I think you're along the same lines. Yeah, but we can leave it open to interpretation and suggestions from our listeners. And I think, uh, well, I'll say this. I, I did a story earlier this season on Bill Selby and the bizarre fandom that followed after he hit a walk-off Grand Slam against Mariano Rivera 15 years ago. And he is like the most humble person I've ever spoken with and can't believe, I mean, he still hears from people and people will send him jerseys to autograph and stuff like that. I think he would be very appreciative if we named the <laughs> podcast after him. That's, that's my sales pitch. Well, that's something to consider. So whether we go with Bill Selby or Jeff Branson or Jeff Juden or somebody along those <laughs> lines. What I love about that clip is that it's, it's kind of what our show has become in that we, we come to the, the name of the show in real time on the show, not planned out, where I just throw something at you and then you push it over the finish line with what eventually became the Selby is Godcast. It was perfect. I just love that within 30 seconds, we have a Jerry Sands reference. I mean, that was before we knew we were going to do the random player segment every episode. Yeah. So before we knew a lot. Before we knew anyone would actually click play and listen to this episode. Yeah, I remember a few hundred sitting, people did. I was sitting in a some weird like desk area in the back of the Yankee Stadium press box. And I remember I mean, there's not really anywhere to go for quiet if you need to do a phone interview or anything in that place. I just remember it was I couldn't have picked a worse spot. I might as well have just stayed in my seat. But they, you know it, TJ. Like, they, everything they play on the PA system is at max volume. You know, when they're introducing the lineups, like, your pens and papers are rattling on the desk in front of you. So, uh, that sounded a lot better than I thought it would. In what way? The sound quality or just in how we actually There wasn't spoke. The, the Star Wars theme blasting in the background or Frank Sinatra. <laughs> it was just the beginning. So if I went back through and, and actually listened to the entire episode, I can't guarantee that there wouldn't be that within it. But that was episode number one. As I went back through the lengthy list that we have now compiled, even the name of the show just says, I think at the time, Athletic Cleveland Baseball Podcast, episode one. Just I don't know why that tongue. didn't catch on. <laughs> Just left it as that, that. The only complaints I heard from people is that we should have stuck with the Brian Shaw theme. We didn't stick with the Brian Shaw theme. And who would have thought we'd be sitting here in 2022 still with the same theme about Brian Shaw coming out of the bullpen? It has only just become more of a meme at this point, though. It's like one of those, if I could tell you five years from now, you'd be, um, I was just thinking about all the turnover on the roster. I think Sean and Sean Jose are obviously the only two from the 2016 team still on the team and Shaw left for three years. So I don't know that he really counts, but I was looking even from the the 2018 ALDS lost Houston. There's like nobody left on that team. Bieber was on the roster, but he didn't get in the game. And Jose. And I think that's it. Yeah. So a well, lot's changed. Else. Sorry. A lot's changed since we started this podcast. Lots changed in just a few years. But Brian Shaw yeah. is like a cockroach. <laughs> sure. Um, the team has changed. Our lives have changed. Our listeners have changed. And our numbers have changed. And thank you for clicking play. The thousands of you that now do on Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher, and Spotify. Thank you to the hundreds of supporters we have built. The community I am very proud of that we have built over at Patreon. And uh, I'm proud. You know, that it, it took hard work on our part, but I'm proud of just the the community that has become our Patreon supporters and that has blossomed into the Discord, which is a great time. 
maybe not this past weekend, but usually a great time. It's just fun. It's what I was hoping we could we could build when we started this show five years ago, that people would have a place to come listen and experience and have the emotions that they feel, share them with other people. Let us be an outlet for those emotions. Let us share what we're thinking to bring some sort of perspective on what the team thinks and to just mold that all into one show that hopefully people would enjoy. Maybe it's not for everybody. I know occasionally we get people that think this show is terrible. Hey, I listen back to it. I edit it. I think at times that you, you are 100% spot on. But for the most part, I am so very proud of, of this. And just if we can take a moment to just even feel good about what we have built and what I think we're building toward. I, I just, I love getting to do this show with you. Oh, well, for being sappy, a big shout out to you because I don't know that listeners know all the details of what goes into it, but I'm not technologically sound. You are an audio expert. You are the one making it Hardly. sound, <laughs> making it sound so much better than it did a few years ago. Um, when the audio would randomly give me a lisp and make it sound like we were playing poker and all the bizarre things that we've gone through um, to now get to this point. So thank you for that. Thank you for getting us onto Podbean or as my dog vomits in the background. Maybe the audio's, maybe we still have ways to go. It's uh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> whether it's your innovation with patreon or discord or all the crazy loony ideas you have it's been great and i think you've i mean you've cultivated this community and i think it's not just us who are grateful for it but i mean every time i buy someone a 30 dollar beer at the ballpark that's the first <laughs> thing they say is how fortunate they feel that there is a place that they can go to interact with other fans and listeners and readers and followers um, where you can weed out some of the trolls and, you know, maybe more casual fans. I would love to hear from people just because this is, this is all about the community. We wouldn't have made it five years if not for people being here, listening to it and begging us to continue. Um, and in resuming after we took a, a brief hiatus that it is that passion for fans that it is the this the just the desire to have more Indians now slash Guardians talk. It's because of that listener, those listeners that we are here doing this. I would love to hear from people. Where you where do you listen to us? When do you listen to us? How do we get you through the day? I would love to hear those sorts of things, and maybe we can even share them coming up next week on the show. So shoot them to us on on Twitter at Zach at me. Uh, in, in the Discord, whatever wherever you want to. I would love to share some of those stories. Just. If you enjoy the show, how you enjoy the show, if when you started listening to the show, if you've brought more people into the show, I would love to hear all of those different stories uh, because I, I do feel like this is, it's not just you and me, it's all of us. It's all of us together getting to do this show. And if we have to take 13 minutes to talk about that and hopefully people can just indulge us for that to share our gratitude to be able to be here and to just feel happy that we get to do it. So I'm glad that you and I are here and we get to do this all together. Maybe not after a one and three stretch in Seattle. Overall, you say three and three in San Diego and Seattle, not that terrible. But you know, after you take two out of the, the series in San Diego, how much different would four and two feel compared to three and three? And I look back on that second game in this series where I think even you and I got stranded on the bases in that game. It was a one-run game. They lost 3-2, and they went 1-for-15 with runners in scoring position, 10 guys stranded in an extra innings game, <laughs> a one-run game. That loss was painful. I, I would have taken a split in this series and probably been okay with it and say 4-2 and two road trip, not bad. I don't think that's that's too terrible at all considering the, the competition that you played. And overall, 3-3, three and three, again, not the worst, but... Compared to where it started and the expectations that we just talked about on the, the Patreon edition of the show just last week, three and three and what happened in Seattle doesn't feel good enough. They out hit the Mariners in all four games. So to only get one of the four is a bit perplexing. Uh, it was a weird series. I mean, I think these teams are built pretty similarly. 
not going to score a ton of runs, really good starting pitching, and really, really good bullpens. Maybe the offensive identity is different. I think Seattle's hoping for the home run. Cleveland's trying to string hits together. But they would make a nice playoff series if they met. It'd be fun. I think part of the reason why maybe the 3-3 three and three feels dissatisfying for fans is Minnesota swept their series over the weekend. So you had the high of, you were up four games. The White Sox are hilarious. <laughs> and, you know, it just seemed like if you could win three of four, you'd be in really good position. But also, so much is going to hinge on the eight games the Guardians and Twins play against each other. So you're just trying to maintain a lead. You're trying to have a little wiggle room once you get to mid-September. So much of this is the schedule, right? Like, I find myself looking at what Minnesota and Chicago are doing that day, who they're playing next. Um, The Twins and White Sox, I think, play each other this coming weekend, which should be really interesting. I don't know. It's, It's... It's like, I feel like I've harped on last season so much as if it was this miserable experience that wanted me to just jump off a cliff. Well, and that's not far off, but it's just so refreshing to have. And maybe part of it too is 2020 just, there was no like playoff push. Everybody made the playoffs and it was just weird. So maybe it's because this is the first time in three years that this team has been in this position where it's like it is a September chase it feels fun and I think people live and die with every result uh, more so than you normally would on August 29th and don't forget you know 2016 obviously that was fun I think people were were in the same mode but the two years after that like there was no August and September pennant fever it was the alarm is we're, we're snoozing wake us up in October and then we'll see if if this matters so this has been kind of rare over the the last, you know, window of contention. Um, and I think I think that makes it so that you get greedy and you win those first two in San Diego and you're like, all right, just split. And this was a crazy yeah. good road trip. Yeah. I mean, I, I said that this past week that I, I am feeling greedy. If this was just about evaluation. And that's what the front office is looking at. That's when you're projecting forward. What is this going to be? You get into evaluation mode. You view these games differently. If you're in evaluation mode, you look at this series in Seattle and you say, okay, runners with scoring position, runners in scoring position, that hitting comes and goes. You have games. Okay, you're going to strand the small village on the base pass. You're going to have a one for 15, whatever I said it was. It's just a matter of did you have the chances? Were the opportunities there? And if the opportunities are there, then the base hits are going to come and you're going to hit better with in situational, uh, I was going to say situational situations, but you're going to hit better situationally. That doesn't make me feel better when you're trying to win games, <laughs> when you're in a pennant race. No one cares about evaluations. No one cares that you had opportunities on the base pads. That doesn't count in the standings. It doesn't give you a half a win. So that's where we have shifted. If this is a month ago, two months ago even, then you would say, all right, well, games like this happen. Oh, well, you try to go out and win the next series. Well, now that the calendar is almost into September, those days of the chances were there and guys are still hitting, and that's not good enough. And it is, uh, it's magnified when Miles Straw is going through what he's going through, and it seems like he's been at the plate in all of these situations, and all you need is a perfectly placed fly ball or a blooper over somebody's head. It's amped how how difficult a time he is going through and I am of the belief that he is better than this and I think next year will prove that he is better than this but now you're in a situation where you need to win ball games right now I would love Miles Straw to get back to being the valuable player that he was but do you have the luxury to be able to keep running him out there and now we're actually asking is the defense worth what is he's going through at the plate so that's where it just it shows that we are in a different mode now. It's no longer about evaluation. That is taking place still. You're still evaluating, but you would have been happy with just creating the chances a couple of months ago. You're not happy with that now, and you shouldn't be. 
rightfully so. Yeah, I mean, look at the four games. First game, Mackenzie makes one mistake. That dooms them, right? I mean, that game could have gone either way. The second game, how many chances did they have to win, as you mentioned? And that seemed like, you know, once you get to extra innings, I mean, it's a coin flip. So that could have gone either way. The third game is the one that they probably shouldn't have won. And then they did. And then the fourth game, I mean, the whole series just felt like timing, sequencing. Are you getting the hit that matters? Seattle did. Cleveland didn't. I mean, if Owen Miller makes that catch, I don't know what he was arguing. The ball clearly hit the net like 10 times. Um, But if he does make that catch before it hits the net, then that's it. And you're not giving up a three-run jack on the very next pitch. So sequencing i mean it it showed me that these those two teams are pretty evenly matched you know they play again this weekend maybe the fortune swings the other way but i, I mean it's it's hard for me like they have a two game lead they went 3 and 3 on a really demanding road trip and by the way to have to play that thursday afternoon game after flying from san diego to seattle Wednesday night, because the weekend performed next door, Thursday night in Seattle. I mean, that's that's really tough to pull off. It's an excuse, but it's just, it's a bizarre series. You had Ichiro getting inducted in the Mariners Hall of Fame. I don't know. There's a lot going on. That's tough. A lot of Mariners fans there. <laughs> Why do I feel like this is reversed? Usually you're more upset and demanding and I'm the one that's saying, ah, okay, yeah, sequencing, yeah, it'll be okay. But that doesn't explain everything that happened in this series. And this is an offense that we've seen it, hell, we saw it in the comeback win. They score runs without even needing a base hit to do it. It just felt like that is this team where if you miss the game, the third game, the comeback, you would say, oh, they came back and won. I've got to hit the highlights. I've got to see what they did. And say, so, okay, Jose hits one down the line. It brings him within a run. And you're like, okay, let's see. What are we going to get here? Two-run base hit? Nope. It's a ground out to first base and a sack fly to center field. But that's what this offense does. In any of those other situations, in any of the other games in this series, you could have emerged with a victory. You could have pushed a couple more runs across the board. I don't think it's just as simple as saying, yeah, they didn't get some some base hits here, and that's, that's sequencing. Well, they had opportunities where they didn't even need a base hit. Just proper situational hitting that this offense thrives on. They didn't come through in those situations. But that's why that's why maybe I'm more optimistic about their chances. That's why if you forced me again to predict whether they'll win the division, I would say yes. And that's because what has ailed what ailed them in that series is the type of stuff that averages out over time. And two things. Number one, another anniversary. Today marks two weeks since the bullpen has allowed an earned run. Two weeks. It's insane. That's not going to last forever, but if it does, I like their chances. (laughs) Yeah, sure. So the pitching staff has been just bananas. I mean, you've seen... That was a really nice effort by Plesak Saturday night. I thought Savali looked excellent until he hung that one to the number nine hitter in Seattle's lineup. And Bieber and McKenzie have been really good. And Quantrill's been pretty good of late. So, I mean, like, the rotate, like, the pitching staff as a whole has been fantastic. And they're rounding into form at the perfect time. And it's, it's what allows you to stay in that game. I mean, the Mariners scored three, 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 and four. Normally, when that happens, you don't lose three of four. This team over its last 20 games has allowed more than four runs once. Once. So the pitching's been incredible. They're 13 and 7 over that stretch, even after losing three of four. So that proves to you pitching can carry this team the way the offense carried it for a while in the first half. So you just need you just need the offense to get going. Which it can, and I think it will. Because the things that have played the offense, you know, aside from like just what we saw over the weekend, which was just not being able to deliver the big hit, which they've done plenty. That that's why I'm not you know, I wouldn't be losing sleep over this series. The things that have played the offense are, I don't know what Owen Miller does well. 
and Miles Straw, it's it's been really ugly. But aside from that, it's 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 hard to be frustrated by anything. I think you have to nitpick. Well, yeah. And that's what happens when this the switch is flipped from it's a young team, you're just hoping everyone has a good time <laughs> to you're in the pen race now. And I think this is where we're talking about two different things here. My view of this team didn't change because they lost three of four to Seattle. Tough team. Close games. All of what you said about it being a coin flip is very true. And that's why I, I don't I don't feel tons different about them today as compared to them taking two from San Diego. It's just we're talking about different things here. You're still talking about evaluating this team moving forward. Do you still believe that they have a chance to win this division? Of course, I believe that. And right now, the, no, because not they, that have, they have a chance, will they or won't they? What's what I was going to get to? I, they have a two-game lead right now. I would I would say that they, of all of the teams in this division that still believe they have a chance, they have the best chance of them. I mean, Chicago, what in the world is happening with them? They are just falling apart, and Tony Larusa saying crap after the game. Players are saying different things after the game. That is a total mess, a total mess. Minnesota, um, I, I still like elements of their ball club, but they're clearly not a perfect team. Neither Think is Cleveland. Neither is Cleveland. If Cleveland can pitch the way they've been pitching when they play Minnesota... I mean, that's huge. When they faced them earlier in the year, McKenzie wasn't rolling like this. Savali and Plesak were barely hanging on. And Bieber was, I mean, I think he's gotten stronger as the year has gone on. I just, I, I don't think, I know they had that crazy five-game series with the Naylor walk-off and then the Jimenez walk-off. I don't think the Twins have seen, like, this version. This is like Guardians 3.0. I don't think the Twins have seen it yet. Yeah. The only hesitation I have is that this stuff changes so very quickly. I, I think you're on it about the pitching. If they're doing this, then they're a tough team to beat. As, as you just laid out with the runs that Seattle output in this series, if Cleveland does anything offensively, they're at least splitting the series. Uh, I think so, the Mariners are better than the Twins. That's what I'm saying, I guess. Oh, I yeah. I, I Yeah, I think I agree with you there. I mean, I would have to put them positionally matched up one by one and do a versus to know for sure. But yeah, probably. <laughs> you're probably right about that. It angers you because they've raised the bar for themselves. That's a, both a good thing and sometimes a, a bad thing because you, sometimes you would rather just not have it dictate how you feel on a Monday, but still... It's part of it. You take the highs with the lows. But it is almost September, which means roster expansion. And wait, no, it's not 40-man roster expansion like it once was. But still, which they're going to have an opportunity. players are they calling up? <laughs> You're going to have an opportunity to call up some younger players. You threw it at me, so I'm going to throw it back at you. Which couple of players would you like to see? Who could help this team in the final month as they're trying to chase down this division? Well, I've been saying that you're going to see Cody Morris for months. You're going to see Cody Morris. So that's one. I mean, I, I've been waiting to see this guy since last year. I remember some people in the organization telling me, maybe around this time, a year ago, when he had come back from injury and was just pitching so well. And like fastball topping out at like 97, 98 at points. He's doing it again. They've sort of toyed with his usage. He was starting and piggybacking and throwing three, four innings or so. And now they've been using him in a relief role. He pitched, I think, with two days of rest in between. So I don't look, he's not going to be thrown in there in the eighth inning on consecutive nights or anything like that. But I think he'll be able to provide some valuable innings in September. And. Again, I think I said this last time, but like if he doesn't get hurt in spring training, maybe he makes the opening day roster. If not, he's you're probably seeing him in April. And who knows what that would look like by now. The position player side, I'm not sure. I think personally, 
personally, I I would have said Bo Naylor, but like the catchers are fantastic at the plate all of a sudden. I don't think I think I wrote they have like a 123 WRC plus since the All-Star break. Their on base percentage is like 370. So maybe they don't need Bo Naylor. But I still I do think it if you called up a third catcher, you could pinch hit for your catcher earlier in the mm-hmm. game and maybe do it twice. Mm-hmm. Which is really interesting to me. You know, I, they don't need another, like, you don't need Ernie Clement. Gabriel Arias has been playing left field and first base. He's more versatile, but, like, I still don't know how you'd use him if it's to sub for, if it's to replace Owen Miller on occasion. Okay, but, like, are they really going to throw him in at first base in the major leagues in September? Like, they haven't even done that with Will Benson. They didn't do it with Nolan Jones. So, I don't know. I, I Honestly, I still... They need some thump. Like, I, I wouldn't be opposed to bringing Nolan Jones back. Like, Richie Palacios has basically been the DH against righties this week. I'd still rather see Nolan Jones in that position. Or Will Brennan to play some center field. Hit against righties. But also, could Will Benson do that up here? I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't have a great answer on the position player. I'm more of... I'd be okay with basically any of the options they have. just want to see something different. Yeah. But on the p- pitching side, it's, it's Morris. Yeah, Morris is the easy one. I don't think you're going to get any argument from anybody. That's someone that you could actually plug into games and is going to help you. So I'm trying to think on the position player side... You could just have another guy on the bench. You could do that with Arias. You could do that with Clement. You could just have some additional flexibility. Does that really serve you helping helping you win games? No, no, I don't think so. It doesn't really do anything other than just put another body on the bench that late in the game you have a, some additional flexibility or someone that can pinch run or whatever. I just don't think that moves the needle too much. Naylor... I don't know if it moves the needle a ton as far as winability, but I think there are just some benefits from getting him around the major league team in the final month, getting him around the pitchers. Yes, the opportunity to pinch hit twice for your catchers in a game could be beneficial. Get him some at-bats, get his feet wet. You're beyond the time where you would have to worry about his him losing some rookie status next year. So if you think he's going to be good enough to go win you a rookie of the year next year and earn you a draft pick, you wouldn't have to worry about that anymore. So. I think it makes a ton of sense to go Naylor. Now, he's cooled off at AAA a little bit. Still getting on base, but the batting average has dropped a little bit. But still having a very good offensive season, I think it would be a nice reward for the season that he had. And I think it helps next year just with his his ability to feel prepared. I don't know if he makes the team out of spring training next year, but you're going to be calling on him at some point in 2023. I just think... You could check a lot of boxes off right now by just calling him up in September. If you're not going to go that route, I'm very curious what Will Brennan would bring you in the major leagues. And I think he fits what what's happening with the rest of this offense. I've wondered, because we've talked about on the show, there are, in my mind, benefits of having an offense that's not all the same. You, If you have a, a couple of guys in your lineup that can provide some power, it makes it difficult on the pitchers because you're not executing the same game plan to nine consecutive hitters. There's some variation here. You've got to attack a little bit differently. No one can settle in and feel comfortable attacking everybody the same way. However, when you lean in as heavily as they have on contact, on running the bases, speed, just being an annoying gnat that won't go away, sometimes I have wondered this year if they need to have an offense that's almost all the same sort of hitter to make the entire machine work. In other words, to make the machine greater than, what, what's the saying? The sum of the parts mm-hmm. being better than, you know, whatever the saying is, I'm going to screw it up. To make the entire machine work optimally, you need everybody kind of being the same sort of hitter. And I think of that as in the... The, the argument of whether, whether or not bunting makes sense or trying to hit situationally to knock a guy over to third base by just hitting it to the right side and kind of giving yourself up. 
in an offense where you got a lot of, of guys that swing for the fences, giving up outs doesn't seem too beneficial to me. Or if you don't have guys that make contact, putting a guy on third base and just hoping the guy makes contact and drives him in with a sack fly, is that as beneficial as just letting everyone have an opportunity to swing? It's arguable. But when you have an offense like this, is it beneficial to constantly have the same sorts of hitters that are all on the same page? And if there is a guy on third base, you have another guy coming up to the plate that's willing to give himself up and loft a fly ball and drive that run in. So that's what I've wondered about this offense. And I think Brennan fits it perfectly. If you're going to take any at-bats away from Miles Straw in the final month, the only guy that I think you could sub in and still fits the mold of what is happening with the rest of this offense would be Will Brennan. So I would go. I would rank Naylor first, and if you're not going to call him up, then I would definitely, I would like to see Will Brennan. Yeah, I think the checklist goes number one. Is there someone who gives us a really good chance to win more games? And if the answer is no, because you are relying on a rookie in a small sample, and I think people have gotten spoiled because Quan comes up and dominates major league pitching. Oscar Gonzalez comes up and dominates major league pitching. Like it doesn't usually work like that. So if you don't think that there's someone that you're confident can come up and, and change some things, then number two on the checklist would be, is there someone who could really benefit by having an extra month in the, in the major leagues? And that's, that's Naylor. If you think it is. Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, and, and Naylor, to come back to it, I think you just get some benefit of preparing him for next year. That That's a huge part of it. What I was also thinking about is the performances we've repeatedly seen from Tristan McKenzie. Someone had recently asked me about extension candidates, and it's easy to start rattling off Jimenez and Naylor, two guys that might make sense on the position player side. And then I started thinking about Tristan McKenzie. It might put him in a position where you, you were considering an extension, but I think we both were on the same page. You wanted to see a little bit more. With the way this season has played out, I, I'm obviously encouraged by the performance, but the thing that probably puts him more into that, that category of guys I, I'm wanting to extend is the fact that he has just seemed more durable this year. And not just seemed, but has been more durable. He's going deep in every start. Mm-hmm. And he's holding his stuff deep into starts. And yeah, he's still getting hit by occasional home run balls. And I think maybe just a matter of consistency, pitch to pitch, and younger pitchers, you're going to go through things like that. And sometimes it's just bad luck. But at the same time, I am more encouraged by just his ability to give you innings and give you quality innings and take the ball every fifth day. There's There has not been a time where anyone's like, oh, well, Maybe Tristan needs to back off a little bit here. Maybe they need to get him out of this start because they're trying to manage workloads here. That dude just keeps taking the ball, and, and he doesn't look like what you would the prototypical horse innings eater, but he's acted a lot like it this year. So where are you at on McKenzie in the offseason? Is that someone you're willing to talk extension with? Yeah, I think so. Um, I believe he's got one more year, and then he's arbitration eligible. I don't know what his preferences would be. I think he signed for $2 million when he was drafted. So I don't know what the motivations are. I'm pretty sure he's very comfortable and happy with where he's at. That could help. But yeah, I think the one question was the durability with him, right? I mean, he had the stuff. He had the pedigree. He was a high draft pick. He was dominant in the minor leagues. You just didn't know if he could hold up. You know, he went so long without pitching and then... You know, flashed some things in that pandemic year, and then last year we saw those glimpses, but this has been putting it all together. And as you said, I mean, he's he's pitching into the seventh inning every night, every time he's out there. So, yeah, uh, that that is, I, I didn't think, I, I always thought that would be the concern and why they'd maybe hesitate to do something like that. And maybe, maybe that plays into negotiations too, but... I, it's certainly he'd be near the top of the list um, of, of guys I'd want to explore that with. Don't you think there's more motivation on his part than there would have been with Bieber? Because Bieber was 
an all-star and a Cy Young winner by this point, you mean? Well, let's even look at it after the, the all-star season. Before, like even before we get to, to 2020 and him going next level. Can you compare those two where they would have been at mentally? I feel like Tristan would have been in a position or is in a position where it might make more sense because he has had past concerns about just staying healthy. And for younger pitchers, pitchers I, I look at differently because if you're a good pitcher, especially if you burst on the scene at any point in, in your younger part of your career, you can get two big paydays or maybe just get that additional one beyond the extension. Position players, I get it, because you cross the threshold of being 30 years old and your chances of getting that long-term big money extension really goes off the cliff. But for pitchers, I would almost want the security early in my career so that when I approach you know, 30, 31, 32, I can still cash in and get a lot of money at that point because teams are still going to be willing to pay me at that point compared to a position player. It's tricky because elbows and shoulders are ticking time bombs. So, me personally, and it's easy for me to say, I would jump at any opportunity I had. I also don't have a multi-million dollar signing bonus in my pocket yet. But, I don't know, I'm trying to think. I mean, I know they had talked extension with Bieber and he wasn't interested and they had they had made him, I think they offered him... A lot more than they had offered Kluber. Kluber was older after he won his first Cy Young. But, yeah, it's difficult. I mean, everyone has different motivations. And, you know, think about it. Bieber was also around Bauer and Clevenger and guys who were saying, make your money. Go year to year. Get to free agency. Um, So, I don't know if he was influenced by them at all. But everybody's different. That's why it's everyone always says, like, what would you? What do you think a, an extension would look like? And it's like y- you never know. I can tell you what maybe the team would be interested in, based on intel and history. But every player is so different, and they don't even know like what is possible until they get to the negotiating table. So, stuff's tough to forecast. But that's also why. I mean, they how many people predicted they'd sign Classe and Straw? Like, this stuff can be unpredictable at times because they talk to more people about extensions than we would ever know. The reason why I bring it up, a lot of the questions I had about McKenzie in particular have really gone away this year. And yeah, every pitcher could get hurt. Even guys that you feel like, there's no chance that guy gets hurt. Pitchers get hurt. (laughs) It's just the nature of the beast. And if you're concerned about it at all, You'll never sign a pitcher to a long-term extension. Could he be the ace as you usher in a new mm. regime with Gavin Williams and Espino? Could and very well. Yeah, I think so. Rest. Doesn't don't you think he has the mentality for that? I do. And what's been impressive is the growth on that front over the last year, where fourteen months ago. He questioned if he was a big league pitcher. And we've seen him flip that switch. And now the guy oozes confidence. And when he makes one mistake, you, you can see. Yeah. You know, he's he'll give you a little bit of emotion out there to tell mm. you what he's thinking. I also like the fact that we, we harp so much on velocity. And he's able to maintain it so much better. But he's not... It was concerning if it was he always has to throw 93, 94, 95 to have success, and he can go get that. But I have concerns about any pitcher that has to live that close to their maximum velocity at all times to be truly dominant. He doesn't have to be. He has to be able to break it out when he needs it, but he can still throw 91 and get outs. I think he has approached the level of knowing how to utilize his velocity to its best case for him but I would be concerned if he if he had to throw 94 to have success because then I might worry about some arm troubles down the road but for him now I think you're just seeing someone that is capable of getting guys out at all sorts of velocities and of course when the curveball's doing what it does and all those 
different elements that make him special. He's a hell of a lot of fun to watch. Real quick, before we wrap up, give me one key for this team to win the division. Just one. Yeah, act like you didn't set up this question and now you have to think about it. <laughs> I am going to say Jose Ramirez goes MVP level Jose Ramirez. Are you saying that it's not possible to win the division without that happening? I'm saying it would be much more difficult to do it without that. Yeah. I think he makes, when he's going nuclear, I think it makes everybody else more confident, more relaxed. It changes everything. You know, all of a sudden, Naylor's coming up with runners on base all the time. And maybe Rosario's getting better pitches to hit. I, I just, I don't know. I just, I, I think, like right now, especially, like they need someone to just carry them. Obviously, he's the guy that could do it. And I was going to, originally when I posed the question to you, I was going to say something to do with pitching, but... No, I mean, I, I think the way the pitching is situated, I think they're fine. Yeah, well, that's going to be my key, is that this is the baseline now. And mm -hmm. asking the bullpen to go not give up a run for another two weeks might be a little bit unfair. But I think it has. this has to be closer to where they're at for the rest of the year than obviously what we saw earlier in the season. But they can't just be like solid, average. You need dominant performances in this final month. You absolutely do. Bieber, what he's, Bieber is doing now, and we, we talked about the velocity early in the year, and I said I was very interested to see how he goes about adjusting with what he has now. Don't you feel like he's done that? Because the velocity, yeah, the velocity has gotten better, but the way he attacks opposing hitters, hasn't that changed throughout the year? He's okay to live with some like early contact and get some ground balls and then go get the strikeout when he needs it. But I think he has gone through that adjustment period of knowing how he's going to succeed. I was going to ask you a minute ago, can you rank the following curveballs? Mackenzie, Bieber, Savali? Um, curveballs. Off the top of my head without looking at any statistics... Yeah, I would just your probably favorites. go my favorites. Yeah, how, which do you prefer? Uh, I would say Mackenzie. Which do you one. like watching? Mackenzie, yes, Mackenzie, absolutely. Uh, Bieber, it's not always about the curveball; it's the slider, and there's a cutter, and I think he throws variations of all of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I mean, just because it's Bieber, I'll say Bieber too. But Savali, what he's done with that pitch, uh, he looks completely different. Completely different. And I know he hangs one and gives up three runs, but I have I have a ton more confidence in him pitching now than I did a couple of months ago for sure. That curveball is a big reason for it. So yeah. Cool. You? Who do you like watching? I honestly it's like it's my favorite pitch to watch. Especially when it's got like like Savali said like a big hump in it yesterday and yeah. You know, when you see you guys... like watching just, things hump. <laughs> it is our five-year anniversary. You better go get that baby. <laughs> He's back asleep. Oh, well then, turn the music off. We're going to go for another hour. <laughs> <laughs> oh, got to love having a newborn in the middle of a pennant race. Whoa, wait, wait, wait. So if we do have time, should we do a segment? Yeah. Do you think I can find one <laughs> in the 10-second uh, intro to be able to do this? Five years later, some things never change, including... All right, well, I'm going to hit the music and hopefully find one. And now it's time for the random Cleveland used-to-play-here guy of the day. The problem is we have done all of the random players. No more random players exist. 
So five years. So how many episodes <laughs> have we done this segment? 200? 150? Uh, yeah, well... I would have to go through and count the Patreon ones too, because we don't we don't do it every single time. No, I mean there have been like what? How many players? I'm trying to remember. I did that story on the guy who was collecting a photo of every player who ever played for the franchise. Maybe it's like two thousand players. Yeah, the one guy he can't get is Shorty Gallagher, who played like one game in 1908. So 2,000 players, and we've done 150 of them. You can find one. I've got one. I, we've probably done this one before, but who cares? Jorge Julio. No. And if that was it, I was going to quickly find another one. This man played for the Indians in 2006. It was his only year with Cleveland. He would then play one, two, three, parts of three years with Toronto, one year with Milwaukee, one year with Houston, which was his last year in the major leagues. That was 2011. He made his debut with Cleveland in 2006 at the age of 28. Position player put up an OPS plus of 86 in 222 plate appearances. Slash 284, 332, 383. No idea. Was drafted by the Indians in the eighth round of the 2000 amateur draft. Angel Santos. No. Was later selected off waivers by the Blue Jays from the Indians. Was a little Joe surprising. Inglet. Ah, there you go. It's Joe Inglet. Don't you have an applause sounder? It's like the clip of the, I don't know who it was, somebody on the campaign trail makes a point. No one says anything. He goes, please clap. <laughs> uh, yes, that, there you go. There's your applause. I was, I was kind of surprised after 2006. Like Joe Inglis looked solid. He was also 28, but uh, would go on to have a okay-ish short big league career. Hit 283 in his short times short time in the big leagues with a 342 on base percentage, 95 OPS plus. Who do they replace Inglet at second base with? Barfield. And then as Drupal Cabrera. Yeah, later that year. There you go. I mean, where else would you get this sort of knowledge? Baseball reference. Five years of it. <laughs> Baseball reference, fan graphs. Uh, hey, if you want some merch, I'll drop it into the uh, description of this episode. <laughs> this, It wasn't us. It, people came up with this. So you say you want some merch? You give me a design idea? I'll throw it on a shirt in five minutes and you can buy it. <laughs> Zach, any parting words? Are you ever going to create some merch that, like, we wouldn't be embarrassed to wear in public? More on that later this week. Or maybe. I don't know. See you at Patreon. Bye.